You know, it's funny because it seems like there was like a message during worship. There was a message during tithes and offering, and now you're going to get another message. It's like a trifecta for everyone tonight. I mean, obviously, God is moving. Well, my name is Steve Ruggiero, and it's great to be here tonight. For those of you who don't know me, my lovely wife and I have been attending City Life now for just under 10 years, almost a decade, and we love it here. We love it. We're part of the leadership team. Um, We've got a lot of ground to cover, so I want to jump right into the message by starting with the origin of where this message comes from. It actually started in December of last year as I was praying over what to launch this year's base camp with. Base camp is the men's ministry here at City Life. And I was spending a lot of time in December praying and studying and reading, and I felt like God kept bringing me back to the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. This idea that God has the power to resurrect those untapped, untouched, unused, buried areas of our life. So I gave an abridged version of tonight's message to the guys at base camp on January 12th, a message that I call Living a Lazarus Life. Pastor Fred got a copy of the notes, asked me to share. I said, absolutely, because the very challenges that were given that morning in January, they're applicable to all of us here tonight going forward in 2019. And that's because the story of Lazarus It provides a lot of parallels to our life today as well as, listen, it sheds increasing light on Jesus, both his humanity and his divinity. So if you have your Bible, please turn with me tonight to John chapter 11. Two things that I realized right out of the gate with this message is that it's only in the Gospel of John. And also, and probably most importantly, is that Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead It's the last miracle he performed. He performed a lot of miracles, but this would be the last one, him raising a man from the dead. And it would be shortly thereafter that he himself would go to the cross, die, and rise from the dead. It's almost as if it's a foreshadowing of what's to come. Now, John 11 has 57 verses, 17 of which are attributed to Jesus. Tonight, we're only going to really unpack the last six verses. The six verses that actually comprise, listen, the final five statements that Jesus said before a dead man walked out of a grave. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a tendency at times to read Scripture, and I go right over stuff like this. I'm like, "Mm, turn water to wine opened the eyes of the blind, walked on water, raised a man from the dead. No, no, no. The man was dead for four days, and he came to life. We have to remember that. And the five things he said are important. They're important to us today because I believe those five things give you and I five challenges for going forward in 2019. Five things. This is... So tonight, really, what I'm going to share with you isn't so much of a sermon. It's more of a prophetic summons. Because 1 Corinthians 14.3 says this, The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, their encouraging, and their comfort. And I believe this message tonight is going to do those three things for us here. 
Now, one of the reasons that I believe the story of Jesus raising a man from the dead, it resonates inside of you and I, is because we were created for eternity. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says God has set eternity in the heart of man. So from the time we're born, I believe there's a tension within us of this eternity that beckons us and our death that tries to threaten us. But we're assured because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, death has no power over us. It has no hold on us. Paul said to the Philippians, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But listen, since Jesus has removed the sting of death over our life, our enemy, Satan, has had to adapt his strategy somewhat. Since he can't take us out of heaven when we die, he tries to take heaven out of us while we live. And he does that by trying to, trying to bring death, destruction, and tries to hide the very destiny that you and I were created to accomplish. The very people that we were made to be, the things we're made to do, he tries to bring death to those things. But John 11 gives us hope. And the final five statements, they show us how. But we're not going to go right to those right away. What I want to do is I want to take a cursory walk through John chapter 11 to kind of set the stage, to kind of give some backstory. Now, I know it's one of the most popular stories in the Bible. But how many of you know that this Bible is a living word, that you can read the same verse 100 times and get something new every time? So let's look at John Chapter 11, in the beginning, the beginning of the chapter, it says Lazarus was sick. Now, Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha, and we kind of are a little familiar with them because they let us in on a little bit of sibling rivalry earlier in another story where Jesus was at their house. And there's Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening as he's talking, and, and Martha's busy throughout the house. And here we are today, still challenged with those lessons of, do we listen, are we, should we be listening to Jesus or laboring for him, worshiping or working for him? But see, today's a little different. Things are a little different right now because their brother is sick. There's no family dinner tonight. Life group is canceled. Lazarus is sick. So Mary, the one who sat at Jesus' feet, she sends a messenger to Jesus. She hears he's outside of town. Go tell Jesus that the one you love is sick. Now the Greek word for sick is astenio, and it doesn't mean a cold, and it doesn't mean the flu. It means seriously ill. In fact, folks, it doesn't look like he's going to make it. And then as bad as things are, they seem to take a turn a little bit for the worse. Because when the messenger finally reaches Jesus, we know the story, right? What does he do when he hears about Lazarus? He gets on a horse and he hightails it to Bethany. No, he delays his going for two days. He doesn't go. Now the delay is a sermon for another day. But I do want to share this, something that kind of hit me as I was doing my study. Jesus was about 20 miles away when Mary and Martha dispatched the messenger. And it takes about a day by foot to go 20 miles. So the messenger left the first day to find Jesus. Jesus delayed for two more days. On the fourth day, he left for Bethany. And Lazarus was dead for four days. So I'm under the impression, as some others are, 
that the delay did not directly influence whether Lazarus lived or died. Some were under the the, the uh, perception that Jesus specifically delayed his going so Lazarus would die. And then he would go and say, wow, look at my power. Or that maybe he was trying to teach Mary and Martha some virtue about suffering. I don't believe that. I think Jesus did what Jesus does. And he takes a bad situation and he redeems it for good. Amen? Regardless, though, regardless of whether Lazarus was near death or dead, the urgency is the same. Jesus, please come. And then a delay. And then a delay. I think it's safe to say that most of us in here are pretty familiar with God's dramatic pauses. How many of us have prayed and waited desperately for an answer? We pray, Lord, please, spiritual crickets, right? Well, here's Mary and Martha, same. They go to bed that night, and they don't hear back from Jesus, They get up the next day, their brother, who they love, dies, and Jesus is a no-show. All the while, some 20 miles away, Jesus hears of Lazarus, and he's having a discussion with the disciples about whether or not he should or shouldn't return to Bethany. And they're like, well, you know, Lord, you might want to be careful. They tried to kill you there before. And then the, the conversation takes a weird turn about, hey, is Lazarus even a lie or is he sleeping or is he really dead? Until finally Jesus clears it up. Listen, guys, make no mistake. Lazarus is dead. He's dead. And we're going. We're going. So when Jesus finally does arrive in Bethany, Lazarus is already dead, been dead for four days and in the tomb. Now, why is four days important? Why four days? Because in that time, Jews believed that the spirit of the dead person would hover over the body for three days. But four days? Four days means hope is gone. Four days means there's no miracle ending today. Four days means our prayers were ineffective. Four days means it's time to let go and move on. Because, folks, at day four, things really start to change, especially for a dead man. Let me explain. Now, I'm not going to go into too much detail because, like you, I like to go out to eat after church. (laughs) But forensic anthropologists say that there are four stages to human decomposition. Stage one is days one to three. It's called autolysis or self-digestion, and it happens right after we die. In other words, the body has no way of getting oxygen and circulation has stopped, so it builds up an acidic environment inside the body, and, and your membranes begin to rupture and rigor mortis sets in. Stage one. Stage two is known as the bloat stage, B-L-O-A-T. It's days three to five. Now the body's swelling because of all the ruptured membranes, and the body begins to emit a very terrible odor, which Martha mentions later that we're going to touch on. Stage three is active decay. It's day five on. Stage four is when the body begins to liquefy after 30 days, skeletonization. Now, here's your biology lesson. Welcome to city life. (laughs) Our friend Lazarus was in stage two. But even then, even knowing it's been four days, 
Martha hears that Jesus is coming into town, so she runs out to meet him, and she says, Lord, listen to these five words. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And they have some conversation. She's done with that. She goes back, tells her sister, Mary, the master's looking for you, which is odd because he didn't ask for her. Mary and some friends run out to see Jesus. You know what she says? Lord, if you had been here, blame runs in the family. My brother wouldn't have died. Jesus said, mm-hmm. where have you laid him? And they say, come and see, Lord. I think for some of us tonight, that very question is being asked of us. Where have you laid your pain? Where have you buried your disappointment? And I think our answer is the same tonight. Come and see, Lord. Then in verse 35, we get the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. And as I'm doing my study, I'm thinking, why did he cry? Dude knew that he was going to go there and raise Lazarus from the dead. I mean, there was going to be a celebration. Why were you weeping? I think there's a couple reasons. We're not going to go into too much detail. But one, I think it was, for, it was for compassion for suffering. Because Jesus embodies empathy. And what breaks our heart breaks his heart. Secondly, I think it could have been the calamity of sin. Since the beginning, Jesus has watched sin and death run roughshod over humanity. And he's had enough. It's enough. We have opinions about why he cried. You know what? So did they. So did they. There were some people there. They saw him cry. And they said, look how much he loved him. There were other people who said, you know what? <laughs> if he could have opened the eyes of the blind, couldn't he have kept this man from dying? Two camps. A divided crowd. See yourself there. Everyone's standing around and has their opinion about what's happening. Jesus is standing by a tomb. They've been mourning for four days. They all most believe, I would say, that he's too late. And yet, there's this palpable energy that says something is going to happen here tonight. Something's going to happen. And that's where we pick up with our core verses for tonight. The final five things Jesus said, I believe, they usher in five challenges to each and every one of us here going forward. And I believe our hearts have been prepared through worship and prayer. And I believe this word is for all of us. The first thing Jesus said, standing outside that tomb, was take away the stone. Take away the stone. I believe the first challenge for you and I this year Going forward is we are going to overcome our obstacles. For many of us here tonight, there's a stone, there's an obstacle that has been blocking our way from getting to Jesus. We were talking about it earlier. I think Pastor David mentioned we're trying to get to him, but every time we try, there's this obstacle standing in our way, keeping us from fulfilling our destiny. Ryan Holiday wrote a book called The Obstacle is the Way, he said every obstacle is unique to each of us. And by unique, I think he means familiar, personal, because you know it. But the responses they elicit are the same. Fear, frustration, confusion, helplessness, depression, anxiety, anger. Our stone, mine, yours could be called many things. Anything from shame to pornography and lust, pride, Fear, 
selfishness, control, something is keeping us from more of Jesus. He's saying, this is the year that you take away the stone. Take it away. What happens is after a while, we, we keep trying and trying to get to Jesus, and it feels like we're running into this obstacle, so eventually we give up and we give in. Not this year. But there's something we need to realize. To overcome our obstacles, two things. Number one, much of what we're battling, folks, is spiritual. It's a spiritual battle. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.18. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. The Greek word for blocked is inkepto. And it means to hinder. To impede one's course by cutting off his way. It's the same word that, that Paul uses in Galatians when he says, You were running a good race. Who cut in on you? Who inkepto you from obeying the truth? Remember, if much of our battle is spiritual, we can't overcome it with human effort. We can't just try harder this year. We can't five steps to freedom our way out of this. We need spiritual weapons to overcome spiritual obstacles. That's the word of God. That's worship. That is Holy Spirit conviction followed by your and my immediate obedience. It is, it is faith, which we're going to talk about. It's righteousness. These are the things we need to overcome. That obstacle that stands in your way and it stands in mine. Secondly, along with recognizing it's a spiritual battle, we need other people. If Jesus could bring a man to life, if God could Part the sea, I'm sure Jesus with his words could have rolled the stone away. But he didn't. He didn't. He asked the family, the friends to step in. Create a path between Lazarus and him. The healing. In fact, in some ways, that miracle, it hinged on the family and friends to step in and create a path. And when it comes to our obstacle and our path, the same thing is true. Same thing is true. So remember going forward. If tonight, if it's you, if you're done this year with that same obstacle that's been keeping you from Jesus, he's saying this year, take it away. Take away the stone this year. And after Jesus said that, Martha, as I mentioned earlier, she quickly responded. Oh, oh Lord, I know you're the Messiah and everything because I just said that a little bit ago, but by this time, there's a bad odor. He's been in there for four days. Gases are leaking from the ruptured enzymes, but there's something that I want us to recognize in this verse. When that stone is rolled away and the smell and stench of death comes out, the light of life shines in. And then Jesus gives the second statement. And your and my next challenge when he says, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Our second challenge for, for, for right tonight and going forward is believing is seeing. This is going to be a year of increased faith. Increased faith for all of us. Too long, for, for too many of us, we've been operating off of seeing is believing. Jesus' words are clear. He says, believe and you will see. A week or so ago, my wife and I spent some time at Virginia Beach and I 
went out and bought a, a new book by John Maxwell called Leadership. John Maxwell used to be a pastor. He's a big leadership author and speaker. And at the beginning of this book, he says, my experience over the 40 plus years, 40 plus years in the leadership industry has convinced me that we receive what we believe. And so he started talking about these steps of belief and growing in faith. And so I call it a circle of faith model. And it looks like this. And he says, we start with belief. Belief encourages anticipation. Anticipation creates within you and I an intention. And that intention helps us prioritize our focus. And then, only then, once we have focus, are we able to see the opportunity. Once we see opportunity, then we're able to act on it. And when we do, it inflames our passion to move forward, and it increases our level of belief. But it all begins with that belief. You and I tonight, one of the greatest definitions of faith we know comes from Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, the faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. Confident assurance. I love that. One of my favorite words in that verse is that word confidence. Rosa Beth Moss Cantor, professor at Harvard Business School, said this. She wrote a book called Confidence, and she said, Confidence determines whether our steps, individually or collectively, are tiny and tentative or big and bold. This is our year, yours and mine, for big and bold steps. This is a year for big and bold, for you individually, for you in your marriage, for you in your job, for you in, with your kids, for us as a church. I encourage you, tomorrow we're having our business meeting. We cover our previous big and bold statements, and we talk about big and bold going forward. That's where we're going. And this is important, because true faith in God, ladies and gentlemen, isn't some wispy optimism. But it's a bedrock of belief that we stand on and it holds us stable when things get difficult. That's why Jesus himself said, because you, talking to his disciples, because you've seen me, man, because you've seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who haven't seen me and yet they still believe. That's you and I here tonight. Blessings follow belief. So where that first challenge of the year talks about overcoming obstacles in your life and mine, and the second one, we, we talk about increasing our faith. The third statement of Jesus and the third challenge for us going forward, he gives us with an intimate prayer with his Father. He says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they might believe that you sent me. What I believe God is saying in this verse, challenging us in 2019, is that this is a year that we have to embrace the spirit of sonship. We embrace a spirit of sonship. When we do that, it creates an immediate identity shift in your and my life. We have to stop living, folks, as spiritual orphans and step in our rightful place as spiritual sons and daughters of the creator and our king. For too long. We've accepted him as creator, but we've kept him at arm length as father. Not anymore. Not anymore. He's saying, come forward this year, tonight, right now. Paul said in Romans, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. 
The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Folks, ever since Adam and Eve were alienated from God in the garden, an orphan spirit has permeated our earth. By orphan, I mean, I'm referring to this sense of abandonment, of loneliness, and isolation. Almost immediately after the fall, the fruit of the orphan spirit resulted in jealousy that caused Cain to murder his brother Abel. And today, today, with the disintegration of families and the lack of care and care and compassion from fathers, it's only perpetuated the problem. An orphan spirit creates men who can't connect emotionally with their wife and kids. An orphan spirit causes women to struggle with their self-image and settle for much less than what they deserve. Not anymore. Not this year. I'm going to share five quick examples with you that show you when we operate out of an orphan spirit and when we operate out of the spirit of sonship. It comes from a book by Pastor Joseph Matera called Generational Blessings, and it looks like this. An orphan spirit operates out of insecurity and jealousy, and it serves God in a way to try to earn his father's love. The orphan spirit is driven daily by a need for success, often acting out in fits of anger and rage, not getting their way, trying to control it on their own, And most importantly, they find an identity in material possessions, physical appearance, accomplishments and activities. This is who I am. But not the spirit of sonship. The spirit of sonship, you and I, as a son and daughter of God, we function out of love and acceptance. We serve him from our divine gratitude following a greater calling and mission. We act with peace, knowing that he is sovereign, and we get our affirmation from his acceptance. Amen? It's hard for a lot of us tonight, but you and I both sung the words tonight, in my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. And sometimes we have to keep reminding ourselves of that. We have to keep telling us when the memories of our past come up and try to weigh us down. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. And there are plenty of rooms in this house. Plenty for me and plenty for you. Embracing that spirit of sonship gives us the stability and security to find out who we really are. And I think that that security... And that trust is what empowered Jesus to boldly say the following three words that comprise our fourth challenge tonight. Standing outside a tomb, he said loudly, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. And this verse, ladies and gentlemen, it's personal. This is a by-name selection that, that brings us greater confidence to our calling. And everyone in here can replace Lazarus' name with their own. 
He's saying the same thing to you and me tonight. Come out and notice. That is not a period, folks, and that is not a question mark. It's an exclamation point at the end. He means it. Come out. The moment we respond to this call, we begin to discover our true identity. Dare I would say that until we respond to Jesus calling our name, we never truly know who we are, what we were created for, and what we're to do. We're not. And it's because of the distractions and the fragmented affections of our life that make us deaf to his voice. And we end up living a much smaller existence. It reminds me of some weeks back when the weather was really cold. I would go out in the morning to go to work and all my windows are frozen up. I don't have an auto start. Oh, man, I got to get one. I have one on my last car. I don't have one on this. So, so you're saying, well, just run out and start it up and then run back inside the house. I'm not going to do that because once I, uh, it's too cold. Too cold. So I'm this guy. I go out and I start it up and it's like 30 below in my car and I'm just, in my truck. I'm like, ooh. And if defroster's kicking on, I'm like, ah. And you're, I know you're thinking, bro, they sell ice scrapers. So my son-in-law bought me one, and I tried to use it on my window, and I think someone's playing some kind of sick joke on me because it only leaves two pencil strip lines on the end of it across my windshield. I'm like, so I sit in my truck, and, and the windshield gets about this much visibility. And you know what I do? I pull out of my driveway, and I start driving down the road. And every now and then I'll hit the wipers and hope a little bit of ice will come off. But for the most part, I'm driving about 45 miles an hour down, down the road with about this much vision. This is all I see because they're all fogged up. And I think most, most of us live our life that way. That all we see is right here. This little bit of, this little bit of vision. All the while we're hoping and praying that nobody comes from the side. Nobody comes from the back. And collides with our life. Jesus wants to clear the windows, folks. He wants to give us a 360 degree view. He wants to show you and he wants to show me. And it's why six chapters earlier, Jesus stood before another crowd in Jerusalem. And he said to them, come to me to have life. Come to me to have life. Six chapters later, he would give us an object lesson. Did you ever stop to think what happened to Lazarus when he heard his name? Was it a breath? <gasps> Was it a heartbeat? Did the blood start moving? You know, some people believe that Jesus had to be very specific. He had to say, Lazarus. Because if he would have just said, come out, all the death, all the dead in earshot would have rose out of the graves. Been walking around. So he said, no, 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 all y'all stay down. Just you, Lazarus. Right? He had to be clear. And I love that. But Lazarus was in there, and he heard. And he had to come out. And so do we. When we hear, we have to come out. Pastor Fred gave a quote while back from St. Irenaeus that, that said the glory of God is man fully alive. It's man and woman fully alive. 
What does fully alive look like? What does that mean? Where do we start? Well, when it comes to our calling, which develops into our purpose, one of the good places to start is a book that Pastor Fred and Cam Euro have mentioned and posted on Facebook by Eric Reese called SHAPE. SHAPE is an acronym that stands for spiritual gifts, heart. Think about you. Your gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, and your experience. All of these things together create your unique shape, which makes you different, which makes you valuable to the kingdom of God. And we need you, every one of us. And when it comes to that calling, what does it look like? Reese said this, your specific, this is what you're calling is, it's your specific contribution to the body of Christ within your generation that causes you to totally depend on God and authentically display his love toward others all through the expression of your unique shape. Paul said something similar to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, the message translation says this. Each person is given something to do that shows who God is. Each person is given something to do that shows who God is. And then he says, everyone gets in on it and everyone benefits We get in on it, and we benefit when you and I respond to the call of Jesus, when he calls our name, and we follow. Can the worship team make it, start making their way back up, please? And now, our last challenge and the last statement of the night. After his call to overcome obstacles, to increase our faith, to embrace the spirit of sonship, to, to develop confidence in our call. Jesus is standing there with Mary and Martha with their hands on their mouth. <gasps> they have been mourning Lazarus' death for four days and he's standing right here. He's standing right in front of them. And Jesus says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This final statement provides a twofold promise of freedom in community that brings fullness of life. Did you notice that God bookended his most amazing miracle with a statement that said, Take away the stone and take off the grave clothes? We are part of a community and our freedom is connected to other believers. Brothers and sisters, just like the stone, Jesus' words could have dropped the bandages, but he didn't. He didn't do it like that. He did his part. He raised the dead. Now he's asking us to do our part and move the process forward. In his book, Scary Close, Donald Miller said this, As much as we're independent beings contained in our own skin, the ideas and experiences we exchange with others, it grows into us like vines, and it reveals themselves in our mannerisms, our language, and our outlook on life. It's why when you're at your business meeting, you just come out with, come on, that's good. It comes out of us. And we would agree, we'd all agree that it is wonderful to see somebody come to Jesus and turn from, a, from their life of sin. Luke 15, 7 says all heaven celebrates when one person repents. But for folks, that's just the beginning. First there's a celebration, then there's a sanctification. Look, it's fun catching fish. But you don't eat them till you clean them. And it's fun having kids. 
joy unspeakable. But changing diapers is something different. Just ask Alyssa Alvarez. She put something on, on Facebook the other day about changing six diapers in less than 30 minutes. I get it. Most of us would rather witness a resurrection than participate in one. But it's the participation that helps us usher in the transformation, which is a principle of city life, that participation brings transformation. And sometimes that participation requires you and I to get our hands a little dirty and remove the old life and the bandages. That freedom is what Jesus refers to when he says, and let him go. Too many of us have been walking around wearing bandages from our old life. This year, it's time to take them off and experience that fullness of life. Last week, Pastor David said, it all starts with worship. But one of the songs we were singing last week had the following words. And when you, Jesus, walk into the room, the dead begin to rise because there is resurrection life in all that you do. Please stand with me. the dead begin to rise and that dead is those areas in our life that we have kept entombed in fear or doubt or insecurity not tonight tonight that changes so as we go into worship I want you to just close your eyes and I want you to see the king of king king of kings and the lord of lords calling your name and you're walking towards him He's looking just at you, and as you're walking towards him, bandages of pride are falling off. Bandages of perfectionism fall to the ground. Of insecurity and anxiety falls to the ground. The closer you get to him, the more full and whole we become. Tonight, as we go into worship, we're going to have people on the sides praying. If, if, if tonight... You're ready to overcome your obstacles, to increase your faith, to embrace your rightful place as sons and daughters of the King, to gain greater confidence in why He's created you, to find freedom and community with leads to fullness of life, then worship and pray with me tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that we're going to carry forward, that tonight we're going to leave here with hope, that we're gonna be different. That the, that the obstacle that stood in our way will be moved. We will have greater freedom. We will experience fullness of life through worship, your resurrection life makes it possible. In Jesus' name.